0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. All right, if you would take your Bibles, your Bible app, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 27 this morning. Lindsay's going to come pray and read.
1: Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for uh, this family and this time gathered together in your presence. And I just ask that you would come near, that you would touch our ears and our eyes, um, open our senses to receive from your word and from the preaching of your word, and that you would soften and open our hearts, uh, that it would take root and change us degree by degree. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Exodus 15, 22 to 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea... And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks so much, Lindsay. All right. Who has ever been to a really good music concert? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. A church is obviously not like a music concert. We cannot get the front rows filled. Um, I know there's a lot of people here who love music. Um, We lost our boys to men fans over in children's ministry, apparently. But anyway, hey, when that concert finishes and you leave, how do you feel? Super excited, right? You are on top of the world. You're humming the music, you're singing it. Everybody with you is singing this music you're high. That's where the Israelites are at the beginning of this passage today in verse 22. They have just finished this great song that we heard about last week from Tab. Them singing that song was probably as loud as the Seattle Taylor Swift concert that caused an earthquake a few weeks ago, okay? That is the excitement at the beginning of this passage. They are on top of the world, ready to follow Moses to the promised land. Okay, but that was thousands of years ago. How? does this relate to us today? What difference does this story make to me and to you this morning? It probably doesn't seem like it at first, but I suggest that this story actually addresses some very common experiences that we're all going through, everyday experiences that many of us are walking through right now. By the way, I wanna say too, this doesn't just apply to church people, okay? If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, I would submit to you that this passage, the verses we read, actually say something to what you are going through right now. We're all human beings. We all share the same struggles. We all share the same problems and hard times in our lives. I think God has something to tell us about that today. Okay, so let's pretend we're with the Israelites for a minute. Let's pretend we're thousands of years ago. Sun comes up, we pack up the tents, and we're off into the, the wilderness, day one, no water, which is, which is fine. We filled up our water skins earlier, we're good to go. But day two, the same thing happens, and now it's like, where are we gonna get the water, guys? Kids are getting a little bit more, adults are getting a little bit less, and then there's the animals we gotta worry about. And then day three, the pillar of cloud that we're following starts moving, and we're going kinda slow because we haven't had water in two days. But then we kinda get to the afternoon and we look ahead and what do we see? We start to see some signs of water. Maybe there's some clouds in the distance and the excitement starts to find. We found water, we found it finally. And then the rumor starts coming down the line. Did you hear? You can't drink it. It's so bitter even the animals won't touch it. What are we gonna do? Moses, what have you done to us? What are we gonna drink? Moses has, at this point, he has a full-fledged riot on his hands with about 500,000 people or more. Okay, the word grumble in verse uh, 22 or 23, it doesn't mean muttering under your breath. It doesn't mean like, oh man, what are we going to do with this Moses guy? That word grumble is used almost exclusively of the Israelites in their desert wanderings, and it means mutiny. These people were ready to throw Moses over the side and head back to Egypt after three days in the desert. Okay, this is a life and death situation. Now, I don't know about you, but I I can have trouble related to this situation because the last time that I needed a drink of water, I just went to my sink and got a drink of water. This doesn't happen often in my life. So let's try to connect this situation to our situation, to my life and to your life right now today. Okay, that song of praise Israel was singing, that's me at the end of an awesome service on a Sunday morning, right? Well, that's you when you find out you got in the college you always wanted to go to, or you just closed on that new house that you've always been hoping for. Fill in the blank here in your own life. What, you know that feeling, right? The sky's the limit, I'm so excited, I cannot wait to get on to the next day. And then, then I leave church and Monday happens to me. Right, has Monday ever happened to you? <laughs> You get to college and it's hard to find new friends. It just doesn't work out the way you thought it would. Or the appliances in your home start to break. Okay, that happens. Your hours get cut at work. You don't know how you're gonna afford your next rent payment. The doctor calls, it's cancer. You guys making this connection now between the Israelite situation and ours? Those things that happen in our lives are just like the Israelites showing up at Mara and not finding any water to drink. They're unexpected. They're disappointing. They can even be soul-crushing. So I hope you're starting to see that this story has something to say to us today. Now, it's bad enough when just normal life gets hard, right? Life is hard for everybody. Appliances break, people get sick, financial problems, that happens to every human being in the world. What about when it's hard because we're following God? I mean, That's why the Israelites were in the wilderness in the first place. Back in chapter 13, we're told that God led them to the wilderness to protect them from harm, to care for them. They're in the wilderness because God led them there. Just let that sink in for a minute. They're in the wilderness because God led them there. So at this point in the story, I kind of hope you're asking like, what's going on? Through that God led the people to Mara. why wasn't there water to drink? Isn't that the question that I ask in my life when things get hard, and maybe you guys do too? In difficult times in my life, I ask, what is happening? Why is this happening? I think God's gonna take the second half of this passage. He's not gonna answer the question, but I think he's going to interpret it for us. He's gonna explain what he's doing for us. And I'll be honest, it's, it's kind of hard for me to understand what he's teaching here, the way this passage is put together. So, so let's walk through it together. And I hope that you guys will see with me what his message is. So look back down at the passage, starting in verse 25. Look at, look at chapter, 25, uh, sorry, chapter 15, verse 25, and let's read it together. There, there at Mara, the Lord made for them a statute, made for them a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So here's what I think God is doing in this event based on those verses. Here's his interpretation, not, not really his answer, but here's God's explanation for what's going on in this situation. Here's the big idea in the passage. So listen, here it is. Here's what this passage is teaching us, I think. We live out genuine relationship to God by obeying his words. We live out genuine relationship to God by obeying his words. One of the things we do in the military a lot is plan. We love to plan. We plan everything in the military. When we're doing planning, we start with something called assumptions. Those assumptions are are critical to executing the mission. If we don't get those right, the mission's gonna fail. And here's the catch on those. They usually don't tell us what they are. We have to go figure them out for ourselves. Often we call them implied assumptions or things like that. We gotta go figure out what they are. In the verses we just read in 25 and 26, there's an unstated assumption that's foundational to this passage. It's really important to get this. And it's the first part of the big idea, genuine relationship. You're not gonna find that word anywhere in these verses, but it's underlying everything in this passage, okay? Relationship is the foundation or the unstated assumption of this story. I mean, remember the book of Exodus so far. What happened? God showed up unannounced and uninvited to make Israel his people. He rescued them from slavery He keeps referring to them as my people. Israel already has at this point a relationship with God, or at least the beginning of a genuine relationship. It's brand new. It's probably been less than a year at this point since Moses showed up in Israel and said God's gonna set you free. You don't build a deep relationship after 400 years of slavery in seven or eight months of listening to God, right? It's gonna take some time. So here's the real key to understanding this story, I think. There's a key that unlocks this whole passage, and it's one word in verse 25. Um, Maybe you noticed it, maybe you saw it and kind of wondered what it was doing there. That word is test. Now, teachers don't get too excited. Where are my teachers? All right, and students don't get too down. Okay, tests in school aren't super fun, are they? Tests where you sit down and you start filling in a bubble sheet or you're trying to answer questions to see how good your knowledge is. Do I pass or do I not pass? That's not what I want you to hear in this word test. Okay, I have, I have heard some teaching in well-meaning Christian circles that when God brings a trial into your life, he's trying to teach you a specific lesson, almost like a syllabus you know, in school, right? Like lesson 1.1 is fractions, right? And that God's gonna bring this trial into your life. And as soon as you learn the lesson, as soon as you figure out how to do fractions or whatever, he's gonna stop the trial. Does that sound anything other than cruel to anybody? That is not what the Bible is telling us here. That is not what the Bible teaches. I want you to put a different word in your mind with this word, test, do you think of the word training, okay? I think that is what this is meant to teach us here. There's, there's an unavoidable fact of life we need to talk about. Okay, let's say I want to develop my physique. Let's say I want to get big and strong, which I realize is kind of a stretch. What do I have to do? I got to stop eating junk food and drinking IPAs for one thing, but I have to go to the gym, right? I got to stress my muscles so that they'll grow. That same thing is true in our relationships with other people and with God. The times when my relationships grow the most are when they're being stressed, when they're being stretched. That's when I learn how to really love my friends, my spouse, my children, my God. And that's that's what's going on here in this passage. That's what God is teaching us. He's telling Israel, I'm training you how to live in genuine relationship with me. I'm stressing your trust muscles, as it were. He's, they needed some to build up their trust muscles in God. He says, I'm stressing those. I'm putting a strain on your ability to provide for yourselves to help you learn how to live in response to me. <clears throat> Sorry. I picked up a cold on a work trip this week, so. Here, so in this area, I'm drawing really heavily on the work done by the guys at the Bible Project up in Portland. If you haven't looked them up online, I highly recommend it. Um, They have done a lot of work on this theme of testing in the Bible. They've got some great videos that help explain this. But verse 26, if you look back at verse 26, it explains what the test is that God brings up in verse 25. So he tells you, I'm testing you, or he tells them, I'm testing you. Then he tells them what the test is in verse 26. Look at it. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Do you hear the repetition there? Listen and ear, do and keep. That's the second part of our big idea this today. The genuine relationship with God is lived out in obeying his word. Will you, as the original Hebrew says, listen, listen, it uses the same word twice, to God. Will you do what is right in his eyes? That's the test. And God's testing is primarily an invitation. It's an invitation, not a graded exam. All right, that's how I want you to think about this testing. It's an invitation to us not a graded exam, it's asking his people to rely on his generosity, to give up our own ways of creating security for myself and to depend on God. God can't just tell us what, he can't just tell us what to do, like, here's what you need to do, any more than I can get big and strong by watching TikTok videos of people going to the gym. I gotta go, I have to go to the gym. I have, Israel needed to be tested They needed to be trained how to live this way with God. So do I, and so do you. Um, It really makes sermon prep easy when a passage illustrates itself. And that's what we see in verse 25. It comes right before the instruction. Uh, Verse 25 says, Then he, Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. It's It's kind of cool how God uses Moses' actions here to actually demonstrate to the people of Israel, here's how to pass the test. Here's what I want you to do. In this crisis situation, Moses calls out to God. He didn't try to figure it out by himself. He listened to God's voice. The Lord literally taught him about this tree or this log. The word taught him is the verb form of the word Torah, which is law, which is teaching. And then Moses did what was right in God's eyes. He obeyed the teaching he received And threw the tree into the water. And what happened? The whole nation got the water they needed to survive. That's what it looks like to live in genuine relationship with God, willingly obeying his word. Moses is a perfect picture of this for us. But, you know, it's not always natural or easy to see these hard times as tests from God, is it? When I'm in the middle of that, like, that's not what I see. I ask, God, where are you? have I gotten lost somehow? We talked about this a minute ago, but remember Israelites were in this place following God's leading, following a very obvious pillar of cloud and fire. They, they weren't lost. God took them there. Okay, difficulties, trials, significant life-threatening issues that we're experiencing do not mean that God has made a mistake. They don't mean that he has led you on the wrong road that he has left me alone. God is personally, God is powerfully, God is present with his people today, no less than he was in Exodus when they could look up and see a cloud. That's not to minimize the hardship of life. That's not to say that God has caused evil or hurtful things in my life or in years. For thousands of years, Christians have wrestled with the idea of theodicy is what it's called. It's vindicating God in the face of suffering, and evil. We don't have all the answers about why bad things happen in this life. Suffering is a mystery. If you've experienced significant suffering, particularly if you've suffered physical, emotional, sexual abuse, I don't want to make light of that in any way. Those are evil, evil things that should not have happened. But even in those situations, God has not left you. He's also not standing looking over your shoulder to see what grades you get on his test. He's actively guiding his people and leading us all along our paths. After all, God himself, it's a unique thing about our God. God himself in the person of his son, Jesus of Nazareth, walked that path of undeserved evil and suffering with us and for us. Jesus just, just so let that help you love Jesus more. He walked this path with us and for us. You're probably wondering if you're like me, what do we do at the end of verse 26? It's kind of uncomfortable. See the end of verse 26? I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. It sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I wanna be really sensitive to this topic, but I also wanna be faithful to scripture here. Here, God makes a promise to his people. If you listen to my words, and if you do what is right in my eyes, I will protect you from the diseases I sent on Egypt. I think here, this diseases is mainly referring to the plagues, God's judgment on Egypt. Judgments that he sent them, why? because they didn't listen to his voice when he said, let my people go. They refused over and over to listen to him. And this same promise, this promise of blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience through disease appears over and over in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. They use almost the exact same words. And maybe this sounds transactional. Does it sound that way to you? Because it sounds that way to me. Obey me and I'll take care of you. Disobey me and I'll smite you, okay? That's a super common complaint about the God. You hear the God of the Old Testament, right? Like there's this angry God just waiting to smack people down. We gotta look a little more closely at this. Leviticus chapter 26 is super helpful here. There's this progression in Leviticus 26 of if you listen to me, great things. If you don't, I'm gonna discipline you to bring you back to me. And if you still don't, I'm gonna discipline you some more. And if you still don't, I'm gonna discipline you some more. Why? To keep bringing you back To me, it's not not a capricious deity just smiting people because he doesn't like what they're doing. Jeremiah chapter two really helps here, I think. You don't have to turn to it, but Jeremiah chapter two, the Lord speaking says, "'Be appalled, O heavens, at this. "'My people have committed two evils. "'They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water.'" and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jehovah calls the very skies to be horrified at what Israel has done by this point in their history. They have abandoned a relationship with a loving, redeeming God and sought out relationships with false guys that couldn't help them instead. Was God looking for people who did the right thing all the time? No, he was not. What was God looking for? He's looking for people who loved him with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. And he was going to do what he needed to do to bring his people back to himself. That's that's what's going on here. Now, listen carefully, please. I, I, I hope I'm saying this with tenderness and compassion. If you're suffering from sickness today, if you're suffering from cancer, from chronic illness, from unexplained symptoms, whatever it may be, this story is not teaching that you are being punished by God. Let me say that again. This verse, this story, the Bible does not teach that you are being punished by God if you are sick. Okay, hear me clearly on that. This this does teach that we experience natural consequences of our sin. It teaches that we experience deserved judgment for our sin, for my sin, but I want you to remember two things. These are really, really important. First, if you were one of God's people, if you've been redeemed by Christ this morning, then all, all of the punishment that I deserve and that you deserve fell on Jesus at the cross. Nothing, nothing, that God's people experience now is punishment for our sin. It might be, it might, that's a very heavy might, be discipline from a loving father. God does use these things to discipline us. But here's the second really important thing to remember. God is omniscient and we're not. He is able to perfectly interpret everything in our lives, everything that happens to us, we have to be extremely careful not to try to be that interpreter for other people in their lives. To look at someone else's suffering or trial or sickness and say, well, here's why God is bringing this into your life. Here's the lesson I think God is trying to teach you. If you've just learned this, this will be over with. That is really, really dangerous and I would be very reluctant to ever, ever do that. I think the best thing we can do for ourselves and for others is to anchor in what we do know, that God is for us, that he is always caring for us, and that we just need to wait patiently for his timing on any revelation or interpretation about what our circumstances are. Okay, so I feel like, I feel like that's a lot of words. What, what are we supposed to take away from the story this morning? Okay, how can we apply that big idea that genuine relationship with God is lived out by obeying his words? I think here's three brief ideas, three three ways that we can go apply this story from thousands of years ago to our lives today. First, love God's word. The first way to apply this is to love the word of God. If we're supposed to listen to his voice, where where do we hear it? We hear it mainly, mainly through the Bible, through his word, God's revelation of himself to his people over thousands and thousands of years. Commentator, John Sailhamer says of this passage, God's instruction will be sweet to them and satisfy their thirst. I love that. Over and over through the Psalms, the authors speak of their love for the Torah, God's instruction to Israel. Just just listen to a couple of these verses. Psalm 119, 97, and these are in in the note sheet as well. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Or Psalm 19, verse 10. More to be desired are your words than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Is that how is that how I think of the Bible? Is that how how you do is better than the best meal I can imagine? It's better than, you know, a prime rib or a great pizza or whatever your favorite meal is. Do we think of the Bible if God's word is more valuable than all the wealth in this world? If I, if you really want to live into a genuine relationship with God, this is where it starts, with a genuine relationship with his word. Listening, meditating, treasuring, hearing God's voice in this book every day. That's the first thing. Love God's word. Second, look to Jesus. I'm drawing this... uh, cut it out of here, but Hebrews chapter 12, the first few verses are a good meditation later on today or throughout the week. Look to Jesus, listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes. Verse 26, how are you doing with that? Pretty good? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, on a good day, I might be able to kind of listen to God's voice and kind of do what he says on a really good day. But when a hard day happens, when life gets rough, I need some sort of provision from God to help me do this because I am not doing this on my own. Just like Israel needed provision from God to drink the water at Mara, And what is that provision? That provision is Jesus. That provision is Jesus, the better Moses who lived out this genuine relationship to God for 30 years here on earth perfectly. As he began his public ministry, Jesus went into the wilderness. He was fasting and praying for 40 days, being tempted by Satan to provide for his own needs. Instead, Jesus listens to and quoted from his father's words in the Torah of Moses. And on the last night of his life, Jesus found himself alone in a life-threatening situation, confronted by his father's instructions to take on himself the judgment for the sins of his people. Like Moses in our passage, Jesus cried out to God for deliverance. God answered him. Just like in our story, the father provided a solution. But instead of giving him a log to throw into the water, Jesus became the tree that was thrown into the water of death for us so that we could live. By his perfect life, by his sacrificial death, by his powerful resurrection, Jesus became the provision that we needed to take away the effects of sin that brought us death. And he made a way not just for us to be forgiven for our sin, but also to give us the power to live into our new relationship with God. Um, I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but in the note sheet, if you grab it, there's a quote from Pastor Dave Harvey talking about how Jesus obeyed for us. I just love the last part of it. He writes, we get to go out into the world and obey God, not to win his approval, but from the security of already possessing his approval. We get that from Jesus and what he has done for us. Okay, finally, the third thing, third way to apply this, Live by the Holy Spirit, okay? Love God's word, look to Jesus, live by the Holy Spirit. I said earlier that God is personally and powerfully present with us today, right? Even though we can't see him. How is that? It's through the Holy Spirit that lives inside every believer, every person who has come to know Jesus personally. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say in his letters about walking, that means living our day-to-day lives under the influence of God's spirit. I mean, think about it. If I'm in a close relationship with a person, say, you know, say a good friend or, or my spouse, don't I wanna have that person's desires influence me in the way that I live out my day-to-day? I wanna live kind of looking to them, kind of listening to them a little bit. And here's a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the Galatians. He told them, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, I love, love watching the grandparents or the parents, little kids in this room. You know, see so those little kids trying to keep up with grandma or grandpa as they walk down the, walk down the side. Their little legs are going so fast. They're trying to keep in step with their parent or with their grandparent, right? That's what Paul's asking us to do here. Keep in step. The spirit has got us by the hand. He's leading us. He's asking us to just keep in step with the spirit. Just keep walking with him. Okay, Israel watched that pillar of cloud and fire as they walked through the desert. We need to do the same thing. Live every day watching for the way the Spirit's going and keeping step with him. Well, how did the story end for the Israelites? Verse 27, they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. Um, This picture of just abundance. There was a a spring for every one of the tribes, plenty of shade. This was a great place to be happily ever after, right? Now, I know has said this is our last sermon in Exodus for a while. We're gonna come back to it early next year, but the next time we meet Israel, we're gonna see that they have a long way to go to get to the promised land. This will not be their last test. The next two chapters, the next two passages we read are gonna be two more tests for the people of trusting in God. This will not be their last training session in how to live in a genuine relationship with God. Friends, we have a long way to go to the promised land too. Uh, There's a lot of desert between where we are today and the coming of the new creation. Every day of our lives is an opportunity for us to deepen our relationship with this God who loves us that we've been seeing in Exodus. That's been the point of what we've done so far in Exodus. Behold your God, right? We've seen this God. Every day is a chance to live out that relationship we have with him by listening to his voice and obeying his word, not by trying harder, not by gritting our teeth, not by doubling down on our hard work. Instead, every day is an opportunity for us to depend on the finished work of Christ for us, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the living water who has been poured out on us. So Rick, the band can come back up here. Those who are serving the Lord's Supper can prepare the elements. And as as they come, let's just take a few quiet moments this morning. What, What is it for you that has you asking what is happening or why is this happening? What is that thing? What might be one way that living more deeply into your relationship with God would be a response to that trial or test? Is there there one particular part of application, loving God's word, looking to Jesus, or living in the spirit where God is speaking to you today? God, we're most grateful for the provision of Christ the one who is thrown into the bitter water so that we might drink and be satisfied. We ask that you would help us today to live in the power of the Spirit, depending on you in the trials and the hard times of our lives, to follow you as we walk through this desert of our lives, heading for the promised land. Be with us now through your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.